in this stewardship season for the next two Sundays following this one, we are going to preach around each of the different areas of building happening in our church in these days, building to serve, building to connect, and this day, building to worship. So let us visit now our second reading from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse. Let us listen once more for God's word. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, take us by the hand now. Lead us out of the gates and into your word, that there we might encounter your grace anew and that our sight might be restored as well. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight will be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I've always loved this story from Mark, both for its strangeness, right? Imagine reading through Mark for the very first time and you get to this story. You probably have an inkling at the outset that someone is going to be healed, but I suspect you would not have guessed how that healing would happen. Jesus spits in the man's eyes. It's a, it's a quirky story. I heard one person laugh, and I think it's meant to be kind of funny. After Jesus initially touches the man, he gets some sight, but everything's blurry. And he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I need to go back to the doctor's office, in other words, right? I love it for its strangeness, but I love it also for its witness. It's witness to the profound power and hope of the God we meet in Jesus Christ, a God capable of restoring sight to the blind. But for some reason, when I read this story anew this past week, I noticed something that I had often skipped over, the location of the healing in this story. Jesus takes this man's hand and he leads him outside of the village. Now imagine that for a moment. Imagine being blind in the ancient world. When I imagine that, I imagine that the village is your world, right? If you are blind, you know every crevice of every wall in your village. That is your sight. 
If you're blind, you can tell whether you're on Main Street or Temple Street based on how the stones feel under your feet. If you're blind in your home village, don't you think you could probably figure out where you are and what direction you are facing based solely on how the sound echoes down the alleyways? If you're blind in the ancient world, your world is your village. But outside those gates, it's almost like a form of double blindness. It's almost like waking up on the bottom of the ocean. You're suddenly deprived of all of your sensory landmarks. And yet it is there. It is there outside the gates where Jesus heals. I started wondering to myself if maybe the reason I was noticing the location of this healing for the first time is because, in a sense, all of us here, we're worshiping outside the village, aren't we? Y'all get me? If the village is our sanctuary, someone has taken us by the hand and led us through the door to a foreign landscape. It's amazing. I was sort of braced when we made this transition. And it's been a month, by the way. Y'all can check off one month off this renovation. No promises that it's... But it's been a month since we started worshiping in here. And when we made this transition, I was sort of braced for some negative feedback on how things were going. But it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I'm hearing from people completely unprompted, just seeking me out to give me positive feedback. People say things like, you know, I'm really enjoying worshiping in the social hall because we feel so connected in here. They say things like, it feels so much more intimate in this space. The number one thing, though, that I hear from people is they say, you know, Alan, I'm really enjoying worshiping in the social hall because I can see people. Isn't that amazing? When people give me this feedback, I usually tell them two things. I tell them, if you're enjoying it, then you need to be sure to, to thank the people who helped make all of this possible. Our staff has been working incredibly hard this year alongside an army of volunteers that worked from spring through summer to get all of this ready and to make the transition as smooth as it's been. But the other thing I point out is that when we leave here some months from now, we're not done seeing each other. This renovation, yes, has been prompted by some of the practical things we needed to work on. The fact the carpet came up at the seams every time you rolled a cart over it. The fact that you weren't sure if the heat would come on this time of year or the AC on the other side. Some of our windows were at risk of falling out, right? There were practical reasons, but underneath all of it, the purpose of this renovation is to connect us as a church better. When we talk about widening transepts, we're not just talking about widening transepts for the sake of it or, or expanding our chancel for the sake of it. We're talking about trying to see each other better. See each other better. It's funny though, isn't it, that sometimes you don't know what or who you're not seeing until suddenly you are seeing them. I told you all a few weeks ago about this gathering with international pastors I went to in Montreat back in August. What I didn't tell you is I really didn't want to go to this gathering of international 
pastors in Montreat. It was the week right after Dorian had come through. We had all evacuated. Our family actually evacuated to Montreat, which is where this gathering was. And then we came back on a Saturday and we did church on a Sunday. And I woke up on Monday and I was tired and it's August and it's awful in August. It's hot. I didn't want to go. But I got in the car and I went. And the whole time I was a little grumpy driving up there. And I stayed kind of grumpy once I got there. I didn't know anyone who was already there. I didn't really know what we were going to be doing. The details had been a little vague in the emails ahead of time. But then we had a closing worship on that Monday night. It was a Taze worship service. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Taze is a place. It's a place in France, a, a community of Christians that dates back thousands of years. It's a place where uh, liturgy is just beautiful and, and the music is almost like chanting. It's oftentimes music sort of repetitive over and over. And it's a place people pilgrimage to from all over the world to come to Taze and worship. And this service that night was in the form of Taze. And so we sat there in silence and in prayer and reading scripture and singing songs. And we got to the last song of our service and it's a song called In the Lord I'll Be Ever Thankful. I sang it at the early service, and someone told me afterwards I shouldn't audition for American Idol. <laughs> but I want to give you all a taste. It goes like this. In the Lord I'll be ever thankful. In the Lord I will rejoice. Lift up your voices. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. We started singing it over and over. By the third or fourth time, I found myself starting to sit up a little straighter in my seat. We sang it some more. At some point I looked across the circle where we were gathered in worship and there was a pastor from Malawi. And I started thinking about what he had shared with us earlier in the day. He's the leader of the youth and young adult ministries for his synod. And the synod in Malawi of the Presbyterian Church is essentially the national body for the Presbyterian Church. And this one young pastor, he directs programs that, get this, 500,000 youth and young adults participate in on average every week. If you all ever think the church is dying, you need to remember the church is a lot bigger than just this country. 500,000 people. We kept singing, and I, I looked at some point across the other direction, and there was this Taiwanese pastor. He serves this small community high up in the mountains, an aboriginal community, a community that has been inhabited long before any influx of colonization from that, type, that uh, place in the world. And he had told us the story earlier in the day about how his church, when he got there, it was close to death. He said the community itself was close to death. Rampant in his congregation, in his community, was a plague of domestic violence that was driven by addiction, alcoholism, and other addictions within the community. 
Children in this community were struggling to perform even close to where they should be academically because fetal alcohol syndrome was so uh, rampant there. He said it was hard, it was so hard, I, I wanted to give up, but at some point I realized the church, this is the body called to lead the change. And he began by creating at first this small, what he called an alcohol-free zone in his community. And it grew slightly and it grew some more. And since this time in his town, it has been transformed. Marriages are stronger than ever. The church has grown more than it's ever grown. They're now planting other churches and paying the salaries of pastors in neighboring towns and cities. They've opened a library for their children and their community. This is a church on the other side of the world that Jesus Christ is doing amazing things through. The whole time we're sitting there singing this song over and over, in the Lord I'll be ever thankful. And the whole time I'm sitting there and my, my heart is growing heavier, but not in a bad way, heavier with gratitude. My eyes are getting bigger and, and the low ceiling transepts of my own self-pity that I had been driving around with all day, it began to melt away as suddenly I saw how much bigger God is than I woke up knowing that day. Sometimes you don't know what you're not seeing or who you're not seeing until suddenly you are. Suddenly you are. Worship, friends, worship at its best. It can restore our sight. I think a lot of us here today are living at the bottom of the ocean and we don't even realize it. We've come here from our villages and from our mindsets of who's in and who's out. We come to worship with all of those reasons, whether we're thinking about it or it's just there in the back of our mind about why we're better or more worthy than someone else. We come here as people who rank ourselves all the time by the world's metrics of wealth and popularity and, and beauty and power. That's the village that we all live in. But here in worship, Jesus takes us by the hand and leads us out of the gates into what can feel like a foreign landscape, but one that is etched with sayings like, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. A foreign landscape etched with sayings like, blessed are not the rich but the poor, the meek, the brokenhearted, the peacemaker." This landscape that Jesus takes us to here in worship, etched with sayings like, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will take your burden. You know, it's not always comfortable to be taken by the hand to a place that is not familiar. I've never had someone spit in my eye, but I'm willing to venture a guess that it's not a terribly comfortable sensation. Worship, sometimes it is not always comfortable. And it doesn't always yield results right away. I love that part of this story, right? Jesus touches him the first time, but his sight is still kind of blurry. 
He's got to try again. Sometimes we have to bring ourselves to worship over and over and over until finally that blindness begins to slip and our hearts begin to feel heavy in the good way. And we begin to see through eyes that well up with tears of gratitude. One of the most well-known poets in Israel is a guy named Yehuda Amakai. And one of his most well-known poems is a poem called The Tourist. And it ends with these words. Amakai writes, Once I sat on the steps by a gate at David's tower, that's a place in Jerusalem, and I placed my two heavy baskets at my side. And a group of tourists was standing around their guide, and I became their target maker. You see the man with the baskets, the guide said. Just right of his head, there's an arch from the Roman period. Just right of his head. Do you see it? And I said to myself, redemption will come only if their guide tells them, you see that arch from the Roman period? It's not important. But next to it, left and down a bit, there sits a man who's bought fruit and vegetables for his family. See, friends, when we talk in stewardship season about building to worship, we're not just talking about sanctuary versus social hall. We're not just talking about pews and paint colors. We're talking about how we see, how we see each other, how we see the community around us, the world around us. We're talking about crafting and supporting a place that will send us out with a clearer vision than when we arrived. We're talking about finding redemption and noticing people and caring for their needs. We're talking about crafting disciples of Jesus Christ, not tourists. But for as much as I've loved this story for a long time, The ending has always perplexed me. Jesus heals this man and he sends him home, it says. But Jesus tells him on his way, don't even go into the village. All I can figure is how could anyone possibly go back to where they came from after being healed in the way this man was? All I can figure is that even if he didn't know where he was headed, he could at least see where he was going. And I think, I think of all of us here today, if we close our eyes and listen closely, we can hear the sound of the song that he was humming while he went on his way. A song that goes in the Lord, I'll be ever thankful. And the Lord, I will rejoice. For healing such as that, for love as great as that, we say thanks be to God. Amen.